Okay, guys. Um, so the teaching today, if you want a title for it, it's uh, resistance required. Resistance required. Yeah. And so that's what we'll be talking about. Resistance required. So I'll let Ryan distribute the sheets of paper and then we'll start. Just kidding. Guys, uh, so resistance required. So um, with what is happening uh, around us, uh, there is this tendency to come up with uh, statements like this too shall pass. And this too shall pass is a very passive statement. Huh? And we cannot afford uh, passive statements like that. Passive statements always always betray a passivity in our attitude towards what is happening. This too shall pass maybe scripture, but it ain't the right scripture to use right now. And so what I want to talk about is that we as a people must now begin to resist what is happening. There's a resistance required. And the first uh, thing we need to resist is we need to resist fear, resistance against fear. And, and, and please understand, there's a very specific route I want to take, resistance against fear. And I want to uh, quote from Psalm 27, 5, and I'm taking the scripture from the New King James Version because it really conveys what I sensed uh, God wanted to have us do. And so here's what it says in Psalm 27, verse 5, from the New King James Version. It says, you, O God, shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Just listen to that again. Huh? You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. And so uh, there is this need to resist fear by hiding from the um, ridiculous amount of uh, news, words, sights, and sounds that are coming our way. That is what I mean by resistance here. One of the ways we resist fear in this situation is to begin to come against the strife of tongues. And the only way you can come against the strife of tongues, the strife of tongues is the dissonance, the deception, the loud and the soft, the good, bad, and ugly that is just being... Uh, that we're being inundated with and you have to decide in the days ahead that you will probably listen to news channels once a day or at the most twice a day that it won't be something you continuously listen to that you will take a position where you will resist rumors where you will resist gossip where you will resist lament and you will resist this idea of woe is the earth because it doesn't lend towards resisting what is happening around us. Guys, fear is a spirit. Resist it and it will flee. Fear is a spirit. Resist it and it will flee. Because one of the things fear does is when it causes you to take your protection into your hands. Fear causes you to take your protection into your hands. And when you take your protection into your hands, you remove yourself from God's security. Listen to this again. It is critical. I'm not saying don't follow guidelines. I'm not saying don't wash your hands while you sing happy birthday to me much before July 17th happens. All I'm saying is that while you follow simple guidelines of keeping your hands clean and stuff like that, you must remember that fear is a spirit. And because fear is a spirit, it attacks through sight and sound. It attacks through sight and sound. And so resistance to fear has to come by resisting the strife of tongues and hiding in God's secret pavilion. Resistance to fear comes from resisting rumors, gossip, lament, woe. Everybody is lamenting. Do not join them. 
And let me repeat that line again. The moment you take your protection into your own hands, you remove yourself from the security that God gives. One psalm put it this way. I don't know if it's Psalm 27 or some other psalm. It says, some trust in chariots and some trust in princes, but I trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is the idea that I cannot then think that washing my hands or using hand sanitizer is what keeps me. It is a great guideline. It cleans your hands and it keeps you clean. But it ain't that that keeps us safe. There is a God who protects his people, eh? That must be the first place we lodge ourselves in. God did not have a problem with Asa, King Asa, that he actually went to the physician. God's problem was, hey Asa, why did you go to the physician without first coming to me? That your first resort was not me. So my question is, as we walk around and we hear lament and woe and gossip and rumors, uh, um, uh, as we hear facts that are true about COVID, as we begin to hear these things and see these things and just saturate ourselves with uh, the news and the dissonance and sometimes the deception, my question to you is, where are the speakers of truth? Where are the speakers of hope? Where are the speakers of light? Where are the speakers of zest? Where are the speakers of life? I want to be that. Eh? I want to sing that song after this. A history maker. I'm going to be a speaker of truth to all mankind. And the truth is there is a God who does differently. Break the curse, guys. If you want to break the curse, you have to break the curse by breaking the silence. And sometimes silence is uh, the words that are being spoken all around you where if you don't break it, you're not able to break the curse. People have to rise up and begin to say, yes, there is something called COVID-19. But guess what? Yes, there is something called COVID-19 and two of my friends have been affected by it. But guess what? That is how we break the curse. You can only break the curse by breaking the silence. And if we don't do it, then who does it? Any questions? Any questions? Ah, shucks. You can't put your hands up and ask questions. Oh, there's a 30 second delay. Anything, Derek or Jeevan or Josh? Okay. Cool. The second thing you have to resist is resist self-preservation. Resist self-preservation. As in, choose not to self-preserve. Choose not to self-preserve. Choose to be selfless in your giving. Choose to be selfless in your sensitivity to the world around you. Choose to be selfless in your emptying and pouring yourself out. Choose to be selfless in your food and drink and money. You know one of the things I'm doing? Get up in the morning and ask God, Father, is there anybody around the world who is perhaps in a situation where they're locked down and have no way of earning? And so do you want me to send them any money? And so a um, couple of days ago, it was a man who used to drive the cab uh, in this particular province whenever I went there. And it's out of question. He can't drive his cab down. The entire place has been shut down. So I uh, sent him some money. He called today. He's not a believer. He's not a Christian. Ask God. Become, become ridiculously selfless. Pour yourself out. Empty yourself out. Do not ask people how they are and stop at it. Once you ask people how are you, your next question should be how are you doing financially? How are you will always be rest met by, we are managing, we are doing well. How are you doing financially now takes it a little deeper. But the moment you ask that question, now it becomes a problem. Because what if the person says, I have a problem? Resist self-preservation. Now is not the time for Esther to preserve her life. Now is not the time for you to live carelessly or live too carefully. There's two things we can do in this, eh? We can either live carelessly in the palace that we have built, because Esther could have gone and done that. I mean, she was the king's favorite. She could have been careless in her living in the palace, and the Jews would have died. She could have been super careful preserving her life, and the Jews would have died. I can't afford either. Self-preservation means that I cannot be careless about the world, which means that there are certain guidelines that I'll 
have to follow, that I will not flout for the sake of others. I'll also not be so careful that everything now gets hoarded and everything is about Jacob preserving his life. Jacob's life will never be preserved if he takes care of it. It's a very simple statement that Jesus makes. You try preserving your life and you will lose it. You give your life away and you will keep it. These are not just scriptures that are meant to get us saved, guys. These are scriptures that ones who are saved have to now live out. Man, you will so regret it. And I will so regret it if we don't live this way now. Because this will pass and you will miss out on an opportunity. I want to use this time to show the world that the Christ I believe in and the Christ that lives in me lives a different way. You know what righteousness is really defined as? Sid Kenu, the word, righteousness and justice go together. Righteousness is how are you to live in the world in relation to God and in relation to others? How are you to live in the world in relation to God and in relation to the others? That is the simple definition of righteousness. How do you live in right standing with God and in right standing with others? And times like this prove it, man. There was a question from someone. What is the curse we are breaking? Let's for a second assume that this is not a judgment from God, that this is the work of the enemy and that it is spreading across the globe, that the globe is being brought to a standstill. Well then, it is certainly not a blessing. And if that is the case, then we need to speak up and say what God likes to do in situations like this. What God likes to do. God wants to bring this to a halt. Reading again from Isaiah 14, the verses I read just before we started. Let me read it again. These are the things we can speak at a time like this. And here's what Isaiah 14 says. If you missed it at the beginning. I will crush the Assyrian in my land. On my mountains I will trample him down. His yoke will be taken away from my people and his burden removed from my shoulders. This is the plan determined for the whole world. This is the hand stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord Almighty has purposed and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out and who can turn it back? This is what we now phrase in words that are commonplace so that every time someone says something, out of me comes a different way of speaking. Because truth always persists. Truth always will bear witness here on earth by the Spirit. Any other question, Derek? Okay. We have to resist. We have to resist the idea of virtual church. We have to resist the idea of virtual church. We have to resist this idea. It is not good what can happen if we don't resist it. And so I'm calling on you who are hearing... Do not think that this is a great thing for the church. I mean, the only great advantage that I have with doing this is that I can go on forever. There's no time limit. Because you're in your house, so it's not like you have to leave the service and go home. I could go on for three hours and feel zero guilty. But other than that, let me take you to 1 Kings 12. 1 Kings 12. There's a scripture that um, I felt the Lord highlighting last night at 1.30 in the morning. So I just want to read that. 1 Kings 12, 26 to 32. 1 Kings 12, 26 to 32. 1 Kings 12, 26 to 32. Here's what it says. Jeroboam thought to himself, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If, if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord. Um, they will kill me and return to the king Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he, one he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people went even as far as Dan to worship the one there. Jeroboam built shrines on high places, appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the festival held in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. At Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places he made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, 
a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built in Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. What's the intent of the story? Jeroboam decided that he would make worship convenient. He decided he would provide, like Aaron did in the wilderness, a couple of golden calves for people to worship. He did not want them to go all the way to Jerusalem because that would be tedious. And besides having a political intent, he also wanted to make worship convenient. And so he set up these calves. He set up priests who were not from the tribe of Levi. That was unheard of. And so we have to resist the idea of virtual church because it will otherwise become convenient. It will end up with us molding God as as uh, as uh, molding God to a point where people can access God by pressing a button. That is not how God is accessed. You cannot have priests recruited from tribes other than Levi. How does that apply today? Not. I mean, you should see the uh, uh, the the myriad versions of church that are coming up on Facebook. Some of those guys I know personally, I know their lives. They're beginning to teach and preach and their techiness is bringing them a great acclaim. That's not how this works, guys. You can't recruit priests off the street. Pixels do not convey purity. And you cannot distort the church this way. I was saying to the Lord, Father, do I really need to bring this point up? Because now, suddenly, because we are live streaming, people are listening in different parts of the world. If this was Acts 29, I could tell them it would be fine. Do I really need to bring this up? And when he highlighted 1 Kings 12, I thought to myself, sure, I'll bring it up. You cannot do this. This is why, guys, three years ago, we started this idea of house churches because house churches are for times like this, when clampdowns happen. When persecution happens, when war happens, when pestilence happens, we are forced into two or threes. It's a good thing. But it is still flesh on flesh, bone on bone. And practice the breaking of bread. You got a family of four or five, two or three, or just you and your cat, it's a little difficult. But practice breaking bread. Because in the breaking of bread, there is both immunity and authority. Immunity and authority in the breaking of bread. It's a distinctive of the people of God. Every time they were in captivity, every time they would celebrate their freedom, one of the things that was common to the people of God was the breaking of bread. I hope you practice it every week, not just on Sundays, but whenever you sense you need to practice the breaking of bread. Break bread. Declare who God is and how he is to the earth. Take Isaiah 14. Take those verses. It's a distinctive trait of the people of God. It gives you immunity. It gives you authority. It also is a judgment on the diseases of Egypt and the gods of Egypt. It is also a judgment on the diseases of Egypt and the gods of Egypt. Exodus 12 talks about it. You know, it's strange. I, I heard this phrase... Um, spoken by someone, and I've uh, changed it some. But listen to this. We socially distanced ourselves through technology, living together alone. And now that social distancing has been forced upon us, we are using every technology possible to one another virtually. Let me say that again. We socially distanced ourselves through technology all these years. We've socially distanced ourselves through technology, and we learned how to live life together alone. But now that social distancing has been forced upon us, we are using every technology possible to one another virtually. It's odd how this works. And we can't one another virtually. Hey, I would suggest to you, and I've been doing this and I don't like doing this, I prefer emojis and I prefer smiley faces, but I've decided that during this time, one of the things I'll do is I'll FaceTime people. I'll look at their faces and talk to them. I don't want to, I don't want to use text messages alone to convey things to people. So if I call you and you're on FaceTime, trust me, it's more difficult for me than you. 
because it's so much easier to say something strong and put a smiley face and it kind of covers it all up. But what do you do when you have to say something face to face? But we can't one another virtually. I just need to emphasize this point, guys, that we must resist virtual church. Stand up against it because it's a distortion that is coming upon the world and we've got to take a stance against it. And uh, once it's spoken, it spreads, eh? Deceptions are exposed. The next thing we want to resist is we want to resist the evil reality of what is happening. We want to resist the evil reality of what is happening. What is happening is evil. What is happening is evil. So some of you have already seen the video where we talk about the spiritual realities behind the physical reality of COVID-19. But here's the thing. There's an acceptance among believers, amongst churches, perhaps amongst us, that this too shall pass. And like I said in the beginning, it's a passive stance and it is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. The Bible instead says, stand in the day of evil. Stand in the day of evil. With your heels dug right in. Stand in the day of evil. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say receive it with passivity. It says stand in the day of evil. It doesn't say say stuff like this too shall pass, but it says stand in the day of evil. Ephesians 6.13 talks about it. And what do you mean stand in the day of evil? Stand in the day when there is decay. Stand in the day when there is death. Stand in the day when there is strife. Stand in the day when there is deception. Stand in the day when the power of evil is being experienced with great intensity. Stand in the day when... There's confusion. Stand in the day when there is darkness. Stand in the day when demonic activity is greater than usual. I'm trying to write as fast as I speak and I can't. Stand in the day. So my question is, where are the finehasses of, uh, of today? Where is that man who had the ability when he saw this woman called Cosby, who was a, who was a daughter of a Midianite priest uh, and, in, uh, and in her own capacity was a pagan priestess, where is Phinehas who took a javelin and thrust it to Cosby, thrust it through Cosby and through Zimri so that the plague would stop? This is the kind of violence that needs to arise. Resistance is never passive. What do you mean, Jacob, violence? What kind of violence are you talking about? It, 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 is to, it is to realize that many will not see the kingdom of God because they are being taken away in death. That a harvester with a sickle, and it ain't God, is going around the globe, cutting lives down, paralyzing the globe. That this ain't the judgment of God, this is an evil thing. And that if something doesn't begin to bother me inside and begin to grow inside me, as in, oh God, I got to take a stance against it. Oh God, I got to curl into a fetus on the top of Mount Carmel and begin to look for that fist-sized shadow that will cause the rains to come again and that apostasy would end. I pray that the Spirit of God would take my words and begin to ignite this inside of you, eh? If nothing else, a, a deep crying, or if nothing else, a deep lamenting for the globe. Go ahead, Derek. What does standing look like? Standing looks like what will uh, unfold in the next two and a half minutes. Who was that? <laughs> Pavan, I'll get there, man. We'll get there in more than two and a half minutes, but we'll get there. You know, there was a guy called Beniah in the Bible. He, you'll find him in 2 Samuel 23. Beniah was a man who uh, later on became the commander of the armies of Solomon. He used to be David's bodyguard. And he had this ability to take on anything that was lion-like. Uh, as in, when the enemy came in like a lion, Beniah would step up. So initially, he uh, takes on two of Moab's mightiest lion-like warriors, and he slays them. Then he goes into a pit, and he f actually fights a live lion that tries to devour, and he kills it. And then it says he went down to challenge an Egyptian 
who had a spear that was the size of Goliath and was seven and a half feet tall, and he took down that giant. Benaiah was one of the mighty three of David. And I'm saying, I'm calling out across the globe saying, where are those Benayas? Where are those Phineases that would begin to rise up now so that you can stop the plague? This is what resistance looks like. And so in your time, when you wake up in the morning, begin to pray down this road. You have learned enough, church. And you can begin to pray saying, you can, to pick nations, pick your own city, pick nations. And begin to pray. Not begin to plead and ask God because this is not God's desire. Begin to declare God's intent. I'm doing it every day, man. And there are others doing it too, so join in. I, I explained this um, on that video, but just in case there are people who haven't seen it yet. Remember this progression, guys. The enemy has always used war, lack, famine, and disease through centuries again and again. And by the way, these four would constitute, in a sense, the four horses of Revelation chapter 6, but uh, we're not talking about Revelations right now. The enemy has always used these four things to create in mankind fear, need, Greed, power, pride. These have been used by Satan and his various ways of uh, affecting the earth. These have always been used to create this in mankind with the intent that once this is created, man will turn to religion, government, and commerce to meet these needs. And history sees repetitive cycles of this. War, lack, famine, and disease have been used by Satan to bring about on earth amongst mankind for centuries fear, need, greed, a grasping for power, and a striving for pride. So that in the pro and how do they meet these uh, uh, deficiencies that are caused by these um, four things? By either turning to false religions, false hopes, or turning to politics, government leaders who offer them the next new solution, or by turning to commerce so that lack can be met. This then is representative of. Uh, Revelation chapter 6. This then is representative of Revelation chapter 17 and 18. And there's another name for this grouping. It's called Babylon. But that's for another day. I just wanted to bring it up in case some hadn't listened to the video in the past. So there is something that we need to take a stance against. And so Pavan asked the question how do we take a stand? Guys, before I talk about that, just want you to know that all satanic enterprise is by divine permission. All satanic enterprise is by divine permission with the divine expectation that the body of Christ will resist, will stand, will overcome. So let me write that down. It's a very cool thing to understand. Once we understand that, we'll realize how powerful God is and how powerful uh, the body of Christ is in terms of the role it has to play. So, all satanic enterprise is by divine permission. As in, God doesn't provoke it, God doesn't instigate it, but God is aware of it and Satan is in accountable rebellion. So it's not like Satan can go do whatever he wants. There is, uh, there is this odd permission that must be sought before the enemy can do anything. But all satanic enterprises by divine, divine permission with the divine expectation 
that the body of Christ will resist satanic enterprise will overcome will will stand against stand and persevere and will overcome and reign over satan's plans and devices this is how it works so on one hand there is nothing that happens without the knowing of god god doesn't instigate it god does not provoke it god is not saying yeah yeah go ahead but he is aware so all satanic enterprise is by divine permission but at the same time there is in the heart of god the divine expectation that satan may be doing this or that but i expect the body of christ to resist it because i have provided for them my son who lives in them and i have provided for them the most dangerous spirit on the face of the earth which is the holy spirit who is the holy spirit that i provided for them all that is required to resist all satanic enterprise and activity that i provided for them a way to stand and persevere and that i provided for them a way to overcome and reign is the scripture for it yes first peter 4:7 resist submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you ephesians 6 in the day of evil stand with your panoply or with your supply of armor helmet on your head breastplate of righteousness the belt of truth the shoes of the gospel of peace the sword of the spirit the shield of faith i've given you all that you need to stand And then it goes on to say in Revelation 2:27 that those that overcome I will give you the scepter that you can use to dash the enemy like one would break pottery. Revelation 3:21 and to those that overcome just know that my father and I will come and sup with you and you will be given the uh, the the privilege of sitting with me on my throne and reigning as kings and priests. if we are going to postpone all this into the future then what in the world is the spirit of god supposed to do with us now this is what standing looks like this is what standing looks like why stand why why should we stand at the time like this guys if you don't stand how will you how will how will the snare be broken how will the snare be broken psalm 91:3 says that he protects us from the snare of the fowler uh, he protects us but what about the others someone has to take a stand imagine if all of us took a stand for vancouver and we declare that father the snare that is over vancouver shall be broken you think it is ineffective i'm not talking about praying for the uh, ones that are in hospital that is this, that is one of the things we do but i'm saying taking a stand against the evil that is being perpetrated upon humans you think if just this this mega church called acts 29 stands you think the snare won't be broken so one of the reasons we stand is so that we break the snare two one of the reasons we take a stand is so that we can deliver captives i love isaiah 49 verse 9 so my it's it, i i i never know the scripture by heart but i always know what it says It says something to the extent that go now Jacob and say to those in darkness come out it's safe now Say to those that are bound come out you're free Isaiah 49 verse 9 This is a marvelous privilege I love standing in my balcony looking north south east and west and some of you have seen me do it where I'll stand and say hey Vancouver come out it's safe now in places of darkness there is light Uh, people have risen that are breaking the snare Isaiah 61 guys the spirit of the lord is upon us for he has anointed us to set the captives free 
I'm not saying don't pray for those that are sick. I, 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 uh, people um, that I know, ones that I knew and have respect for, um, are in hospital with, in critical condition uh, because of COVID. So I'm not saying don't pray for the healing. But as the church is praying for a healing, there must be a group of Gadites. And if you want to know what the group of Gadites is, uh, I'll have to go down that road another time. There must be a group of Gadites. Lion-faced. Ambidextrous. With weapons in both hands. Skillfully maneuvering the ravines and the mountains. Learning how to undo the enemy. So that the darkness is being dismantled as light is being shown. And if that is our role, remember we did an entire series on the prevailing church? I was looking at those notes and saying, oh God, didn't know why we were going that way, but please Lord, let them not remain notes in my life, let them become practical. We stand so that we break the snare. We stand so that we deliver captives. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 this is the reason the Spirit of God is upon us. This is the reason the Spirit of God was upon Jesus. And he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, setting free those that were harassed by the devil. Guys, Acts 29 has always had a mandate for the nations. You must pray for Peru. You must pray for Italy. You must pray for Ecuador. You must pray for India. You must pray for Canada. You must pray for the US. Pick your nation because we are not supposed to just go to the nations. We've got to lift up the nations. This is something that we were given as a gift before the Acts 29 even existed. God had this for us. We stand so that we can destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8 Someone has to stand otherwise the works of the devil are not destroyed. Someone has to stand. Christ stood. The works of the devil were destroyed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to the earth in flesh to destroy the works of the devil. One day when the time is right, I'll tell you what is actually being prayed sometimes by, um, by this church across the nations. Big deal. It's a command. You go do what you're told and you come home. Nobody needs to know. This is not about recognition, guys. <laughs> it's strange how People still think that it is Jesus Christ who goes around trampling Satan um, and not us. And yet Romans 16 verse 20 says that soon I will crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16 20. It is I who tread and trample down the enemy. It is you who trample down the enemy. It is us who trample down the enemy. The head is no longer separate from the body. Christ has forever decided that he is not going to be severed from his body, that he's connected to the body, and it is his body that will now fulfill what he has finished. Beautifully, Christ the head has decided that it will be his body that will now fulfill what he has finished. Psalm 149, verse 6 to 9, that here, church, it is your privilege to have the high praises of God in your mouth and the sword of the Spirit in your hand so that you may go around executing the written judgment at binding nobles and kings and fetters. This is your privilege. This is what you should do while you lie on your bed. And guys, this is not a... Uh, we, do, we don't do this during times of crisis. When we do this during times of crisis, it, it's new. But what if this was an everyday thing? An everyday resistance of the enemy. An everyday refusal to give him an opportunity to deceive, to trick, to bring fear. An everyday stand against his schemes. You can check scriptures out, eh? An everyday re resistance of the enemy. First Peter 5.9, James chapter 4, verse 7. An everyday resistance of the enemy. An everyday refusal to give him an opportunity. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give him a foothold of fear through COVID-19. Do not give him a foothold to make you self-centered or selfish or self-seeking or self-preserving. Do not give him an opportunity to begin to distort the nature of the church. Do not give him an opportunity to begin to ask you to back off saying stuff like, this too shall pass. No passivity for this church. 
These are the times when you have to have a spade in one hand, a sword in another hand, and a trumpet in your mouth. It ain't enough to dig and build a wall. It ain't enough to have spears to keep the enemy. There is also the need to have a trumpet to your lips so that you can dig and build the wall. You can use the sword to push back the enemy and you can use the trumpet to announce God's intent. It's a new kind of Nehemiah assistant. All three in one. And every day stand up against his schemes, eh? Every day stand up against his schemes. The public vocation of the church. I'll t- without te- uh, you telling me who it is, I'll tell you who gave that question. Was it Tuni? See, I knew. Don't worry, it wasn't a word of knowledge. The public vocation of the church is to more than anything else be salt in that one statement that Jesus makes is encompassed the public vocation of the church. Salt is not to be used anywhere but... No, let me put it this way. Rotting meat will rot if salt is absent. Meat will rot if salt is absent. And so it is required, if you want to summarize the public vocation of the church, take those two things that Jesus said. One, you are the light of the world. Let your work so shine so that men may glorify the Father. Two, you are the salt of the earth. Become flavor. Both these things, eh? And now if I were to go down this track, then you find that salt can be used to preserve. Salt can also be used to give things a new start. Let me quickly go down that road. And so the people of Jericho come to Elisha. He has just lost his master Elijah. And they say to him, Jericho is a great city, but people here are barren and they do not produce and the water is bad. And Elisha takes, uh, says, bring me a new bowl. And he takes some salt and he sprinkles the salt on the source. And once he sprinkles the salt on the source, a curse that was put on Jericho by Heel, who built Jericho at the cost of his firstborn, is now lifted up. And the source of the water is healed. And Jericho becomes profitable and fruitful. We think salt and flavor is one-sided. That it is only the niceness, the kindness, the goodness. True. But who will remove the curse that was put by Heel on Jericho when he built the city at the cost of his firstborn's blood? For that too, salt is required. In those two statements of Jesus, you have the public vocation of the church. Good works, good lives, good homes. And good works include destroying the works of the devil. May we never think that good works does not include destroying the works that are bad. You can never build good works on top of bad works because the foundation will always Show or crumble. Good question, Tuni, but you got me too excited. Two, uh, two more things that we need to actively resist, and then uh, we can stop. Guys, resist the hankering for communal life. Resist the hankering for communal life. We've hardly been into this for 10 days. And there is this itch in the heart of man, woman, and child to once again get back into being a community. Usually, a church should um, um, lift up the idea of community and hold it as a high virtue. But at a time like this, I'm saying to you that resist the hankering or the the, uh, deep desire to gratify the need for, I need friends. Because an aspect, and uh, this was a line that uh, someone else quoted, uh, an aspect of a Christ-enamored heart is a gnawing ache to get alone with him. An aspect of a Christ-enamored heart is a gnawing ache to get alone with him. Use this time to create that habit. Most couples in love, when they, why do people go off on a honeymoon? 
because they want a break from a year of preparation of people, of crowds, of bad cake, of useless gifts, and they want to disappear for a while to a remote island somewhere that just allows you to be with the one you love. Song of Songs is so often uh, full of phrases that seem to indicate, indicate, come aside, arise my love, come away, come away. And so an aspect of a Christ-enamored heart is a gnawing ache to get alone with him. And it is a habit that must be cultivated to withdraw from others, to withdraw from sight and sound, and to withdraw from screens. To converse with God in solitary places. Like David. My God, where did that boy learn his ways? Except sitting in solitude with sheep that just said, Bah! And he would sit and he would learn the ways of God. He learned like no one learned. He learned how to battle the bear and the lion. He learned how to know God like no man on earth knew him. He was both in love with God and he was one who knew that to love God was to obey. Where do you think Moses learned everything he learned, except through the 40 years of solitude in the backside of Haran, of Mount Sinai? That is where he became the meekest man on the earth. What about Abraham? Alone in the desert sky, looking at the stars, being told that at 95, he still doesn't have kids. At 75, he didn't have kids. 95, he doesn't have kids. He looks out and he sees the stars and he hears the voice of God. How does a man whose father was an idol worshiper, how does a man get chosen out of millions on earth to become the father of faith? There is this precious thing about solitude, man. Where do you think Jesus started his ministry? Or how do you think he started it? Spending 40 days in the wilderness with beasts and with Satan. And it launches him. What about Paul? I love what he says. I was in the desert for 14 years through walking through Damascus, walking through Saudi Arabia. And in those times, Christ himself appeared to me. And then he has the audacity. This man who did not live to see Christ was born at a time after him, was the least of the apostles says, and I pass on to you what I received from Christ. Where? How? When? Use this time, guys. Don't hanker for communal living. How are we hankering for it? How are we meeting the need? We are meeting it through Facebook. We are meeting it through WhatsApp. We are meeting it through hours of video conferencing. Nothing wrong with it. Let it be part of your day. But my God, you don't need this that desperately. It's okay. It's okay. You know, I don't want things to go back to normal just so I can have my rights and freedoms and distractions and noise back. I was telling the Lord that yesterday. I said to the Lord, Father, I'm praying that this thing will end. But I don't want this to end so that I can have my normal life back, my life of noise, of distractions, of peoples, of things to do, of rights, of freedom. Uh, that's not what I am uh, asking for. I don't want an end to this for that sake. I can learn how to live without that for a while. Psalm 84, 6. It says, turn the stagnant pools of baka. Baka means mourning, a lament, a weeping. It says, as they walk through the valley of baka, they turn it into pools of refreshing rain or flowing water. As in, take the stagnancy that is happening around in the world and turn it into a pool of refreshing rain in your life, man. Let this Sabbath for your life and for this land Bring forth so much fruit when this ends, and it will end. Isaiah 14, read it again. The past, the, the, the bits that I read out, the things I'm saying, take a stand, this will end. You know, the strange thing, and I'm sure it applies to pastors and to people and to Christians and non-Christians, the strange thing is men and women are struggling to be home with their spouses, with their children, and with their parents because the legitimate excuse of work and busyness is taken away. They don't know how to function with their husbands and wives and children and parents because they're stuck with them now. You can't disappear from 9 to 5. I'm feeling really bad for pastors. 
They could go away into ministry um, five out of seven days. What do they do now? Thank God I have this flourishing, thriving relationship with my wife and kids. Because the legitimate excuse of busyness is stripped away. And so I'm glad that covenant relationships are suddenly taking on uh, an importance that you didn't have to pay attention to before. So resist the hankering for community. Resist the hankering for community. Guys, I'm not saying don't video um, uh, chat with each other. I'm just saying don't don't fall for the lie that you cannot survive without it. Actually learn to survive and then learn to thrive so that you, like the men I mentioned, can find a place in the sun. S-O-N. One last thing that we need to resist, and this, this might be a little extreme. Any questions, guys? This might be a little extreme, and not, not for Acts 29, but for some who may be hearing it uh, the first time. Guys, resist sickness. Resist sickness. Resist sickness. At times like this, learn how to resist sickness. There's a passivity that can happen towards sickness during times like this where it is. This is the condition of the world. True, but resist sickness. Identify yourself with people or places where you will find food for faith, the kind of faith that does not deny facts, but the kind of faith that denies that facts have the final word. Let me say that again. Find places or people that you can associate with, that you can identify with, that you can connect with, who will feed your faith. What kind of faith are we talking about? Not a faith that denies the facts, but a faith that, that denies that facts have the final word. Facts do not have the final word. Resist sickness. When this thing comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God takes up a stand against it. And if that is the case, then take a stand with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God always takes a stand against sickness. Say what God says about himself and say what God says about you. What does God say about himself? I am the one who causes you to fall sick. No! I am the one who will not put any disease on you. I am the one who takes away your sickness. He said this in the Old Testament, before the New Covenant. Say what God says about himself. Say what God says about you. With song and thanksgiving. Psalm 107, verse 20 to 22. Behold, I sent forth my word and I healed your disease. So now let people gather and give thanks and sing to the Lord for the good that he has done. Sing the goodness of God. While you're sniffing, sing the goodness of God. Proverbs 4.20. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, the difference is, at a time like this, use it to your advantage, because most other times you will get... Uh, oh, yeah, let me repeat the question. Can you, can you say the question again? What's the difference between hankering for communal living and just being made to be with others in the body? Yeah. Um, most of the time, the idea of community is highly valued and must be highly valued. It, it is critical to our existence because we are called the community of the spirit. So I'm not devaluing that. But at a time such as this, Use it to your advantage. Use the valley of Baca and transform it into refreshing pools of water first for yourself and then for others in the future. Use this time. It is okay not to be um, ones that are a community now. It is okay. Go back and look at all those men who were critical parts of community. Moses, David, Jesus, Paul, Abraham. These men were founders of community, but they gained their strength in solitude. 
Going back to resisting sickness, Proverbs 4.20. Proverbs 4.20. My words are life to those that find them and health to their flesh. Hey, there's this little catch in there. My words are life to those that find them, find them, find them, find them, find them. My words are life to those that find them. It's not that God is hiding it, but you still have to go find it. Manna had to be found. You could only find it by going out. You had to go out in the morning. You couldn't go out at noon. This is a great time to form habits, eh? My words are life to those that find them. And then it says health. And the word health comes from a Hebrew word marpe. And marpe means medicine. And medicine to their flesh. Gouge, not gouge. Gorge yourself on the word during times like this. Gouge it out of the Bible and gorge yourself on the word. Because those that find them, to them it becomes life and health to the flesh. Romans 8.11. Romans 8.11. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Romans 8.11 says, his spirit quickens us. So most people take that and say, he will quicken us once we die. True. But you think the presence of the Spirit of God in this temple doesn't keep this temple in a way that is amazing? This is God's property, man. Let the Spirit of God that is within you, who lives in you, make your body alive as Christ. Or if you think that Romans 8.11 only applies to those that will one day die and their bodies will be quickened, let me take you then to Psalm 105 verse 37 where it says that a God who did not dwell in them, but a God who dwelt amongst them, outside of them. It says that he took Israel through the desert and not one of them was feeble. Not one of them was feeble. Through hostile terrain, they walked and not one of them was feeble. Psalm 105 verse 37. Guys, why am I giving you these scriptures? Because I'm saying to you, learn how to resist sickness. I don't think there's anyone I'm speaking to who hasn't fallen sick at some point. But man, learn how to resist sickness. It ain't a natural... Uh, it, 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 it isn't supposed to be something that we just... Hey, why is it that you resist sin? Is that the only thing that we are supposed to resist? Resist sickness too. I'm sorry if you think it's an extreme position because I don't. Proverbs 17.22, and then we'll end with this. Proverbs 17.22, a joyful heart is good medicine. A joyful heart is good medicine. You'll get another chance to be joyful for two songs. But two songs don't make good medicine. Two songs are just two songs. But a joyful heart is good medicine. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. What does that mean, guys? Why am I throwing that verse in? Guys, if you know people that are not well, call them. Your call makes a humongous difference. It cheers people up. A joyful heart is good medicine. A crushed spirit dries up the bones. Call others. Call others. Resist sickness. Resist sickness. Let me conclude. I, my, you know, one of my hopes for Acts 29, one of my hopes for you is that when you come back, when we start meeting again together, once these rules are lifted, when you come back, that you will come back with unveiled blazing faces because you encountered Yahweh in the burning bush, because you heard the still small voice of God through this season, because you saw Christ himself turn up to receive your sacrifice like Abraham when he saw two angels come near the trees, the oaks of Mamre, that you will encounter angels, that you will uh, overcome Satan in the wilderness. I pray, God, that every person in Acts 29 will come back radically changed through this time for the better. Because the times ahead, 
We have to, uh, I'll talk about that in a second. I pray that you come back radically changed. What should your expectation be of me? That Jacob, when he returns, or Jacob, when he begins to meet with us again, there'll be a kinder Jacob. There'll be a meeker Jacob. There'll be a less self-engrossed Jacob. There'll be a more caring Jacob. There'll be a Jacob who's spiritually much sharper. There'll be a Jacob that has increased in intimacy, increased in authority. There'll be a Jacob who has been significantly changed by the oodles of time that he now spends in the presence of God because he has less to do, less hockey to watch, less places to go to, less hanging out in Denny's, all those things are gone. And Jacob, instead of Netflixing, is now beginning to enjoy and being changed in the presence of God. This is the kind of Jacob you must expect. And this is the kind of person I expect of you. That when, uh, what's her name, Jane begins to lead worship, there'll be something in that worship that you have never met before. That when Jeevan begins to speak, that even though he has so much at the age he is at that something else will rise up. That when Derek speaks, there'll be such authority. That when Don sings, there'll be something about an anointing and the presence of God. I'm just picking on different people. That when Mike begins to play his sax, it's no longer the Mike the saxophonist. It is Mike the man of God. I expect Acts 29 to come back changed. I expect you to have a burning bush encounter. I expect you to have Christ come and receive your sacrifice and say to you, lay them apart and behold, a torch shall pass through them. And I expect you to receive promises from God who is your exceeding great reward and shield during this time. Not only is he a shield, he is your exceeding great reward. And that's a word that goes out across the earth right now. If you're listening, then listen to this rhema. And here is the rhema word for you that he says to you right now that I am not just your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward through this time. This is who we are talking about. This is who we are talking about. Guys, come back changed. Eh? Come back changed. Persevere through this time. Come back changed with unveiled blazing faces because you have encountered Yahweh. You have encountered his son. You've known his spirit in a way that you've never known him before in your life. This is how we turn the valley of Baca into a pool of refreshing water. This Sabbath will bring back life to you. And when it brings back life to you, it will bring back life to this land and to the nations of the earth. Conspire with the Holy Spirit. Conspire with the Holy Spirit. 2020, God told us, was the year of the Holy Spirit. You think suddenly that it ended? My God, man, I'm telling you, this, he's setting us up. This will be more the year of the Holy Spirit than you have ever known. I love the fact that every time Satan thinks he's won, he loses bigger than ever. This is still the year of the Holy Spirit. Conspire with him. I'm already conspiring. Once this thing lifts, where, when, what, why, how? Conspire with him. I want to end with others in the world, as in people of the world, are already predicting and preparing to fill the vacuum that will be created when COVID-19 lifts. Hear me carefully. The people of the world are already planning, predicting, and preparing for life after COVID-19. Because they know there will be a vacuum. And they're already thinking ahead. What will the world need most when this ends? And they're thinking ahead technologically. They're thinking ahead corporately. They're thinking ahead financially. They're thinking that if we don't find ourselves on the cutting edge, then someone else will come and take over that space or the vacuum that w exists now as soon as COVID-19 lifts. And one of the things I'm hoping God will give us as a church is ways for businessmen, for IT professionals, for guys who are sneezing, for guys who are coughing, for guys who are not, for pastors for the church for all of us to begin to plan ahead and i'll be talking about that one of the things i'm asking is father could you show could you please show hey god did this with joseph man 
Just think of it. This is not in my notes, but just think of this for a second. So there was a famine that was coming across. This is in Egypt. God knows it. Joseph didn't know it. But then God reveals it to Joseph. Through Pharaoh, a pagan king, who sees a dream. And what does Joseph do? He begins to preempt, plan, predict, and then prepare. And in the process, the world gets grain, but Egypt becomes the greatest empire of the times. And Joseph becomes the prime minister who has all power. He was like unto Pharaoh. I am praying that God will give us the same ability. In this ragtag, motley crew called Acts 29, mega church as it is, that God will give us this ability. So that in your different fields of work or your different fields of retirement, God will help you begin to plan for what will happen when a vacuum will exist as soon as COVID-19 lifts. I pray God that I'll be able to give you that. Pray for me, guys, that I won't back off, that I won't take it easy, that I won't get passive, that I won't uh, resign myself to Kesara Sara, that there'll be such a passion that begins to arise in my heart. That'll be a benefit to you and to the nations, eh? Because I'm praying that for you.